Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Hey everyone, Jordan here with the Startup to Scale podcast, and I'm super excited for my conversation today with Sari Kimball, who runs Food Business Success, which is an online self-paced program to help you learn the basics of running a food business combined with one-on-one consulting. So Sari, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me today. So what I really want to get into today are the challenges that founders face when taking their products from an idea to that point where they kind of figure out they get in product market fit, you know, which is generally about like a million dollars in sales or so. Um, So from your experience, I really want to know, like, what are the biggest challenges that you see founders experiencing starting out? Yeah, you know, I work with a lot of people in my Uh, early stage program, food business success, where um, they just have that idea, right? Everybody's telling them that they should turn this into a business. They make the most delicious thing, right? And so they kind of, I call it the nudge, right? And they're just like, ooh, maybe, what if, you know? And I talk to people for 10 years, they've been thinking about this, or they've just kind of experimented, especially with COVID. We've had a lot of people starting businesses with COVID. Like I was a pastry chef and I got laid off. And now then I just started experimenting with ice cream and creating this business. So certainly um, one challenge is just a lack of awareness of the industry as a whole, because I see a lot of people coming from outside of the industry and just food is so democratic, right? We all cook, we all can share very easily our food and our creations. And then when you go to turn it into a business, there's this whole thing called the FDA and (laughs) having to figure out the industry and not, you know, just not knowing it. So, um, there's a big difference from like a food as a hobby and just sharing it with your friends and family to like, really starting a serious business and wanting to step into entrepreneurship. So that's really where my food business success program comes in is really like the nuts and bolts, the foundations, the fundamentals, right? Oh my Um, gosh. I just want to talk about that real quick, because I feel like there's this um, thing that happens in the food industry where, like you said, everyone has a strong experience with food because literally everyone eats and therefore everyone thinks that they could be an expert. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's so right. Challenging, right. There's so many people and steps involved in like bringing your product to market. And I feel like a lot of people aren't prepared for that. Right. Yeah. This little thing called food safety or, like, <laughs> you know, making money, making a profit, those minor pesky little details. Oh my gosh. That's wild. So <laughs> when you're working with those like early stage founders, like they kind of have an idea, um, what are those kind of first challenges that they're overcoming? I'm guessing like getting the product made, figuring out manufacturing, self-manufacturing alike. Like what are some of those things? Oh gosh. Yeah. I, I think definitely pricing is a big one. And so we work a lot on cost of goods sold and value, valuing your labor and your time, um, making sure that you've priced, you know, you have price parity in the market. So if you're selling at a farmer's market for, 
$8, like you have room to, you know, whatever your, your granola and you have room in your, in your pricing strategy to then go into wholesale if you want to, or Amazon or something like that. So pricing is a big one because people usually don't factor in their time. <laughs> I've heard a couple of your guests say that as well. Like you have to, like your time is valuable and eventually hopefully you're going to replace your time with somebody else's. So that has to be in there. Um, certainly just food safety. Like most, a lot of people I work with have never even been in a commercial kitchen before or been around the food industry, even like a restaurant or something like that. So understanding if they're going to self-manufacture how to work in a kitchen. Um, one of the biggest surprises I think for people is scaling up, right? Because they're working in their home kitchen. And I think it's just the biggest shock because they think they're an expert at their product, right? Like I make these cookies at home in my kitchen aid and they turn out amazing every time and in my personal oven. And then you go to work with a co-packer or you go into a commercial kitchen and now you're working with, you know, a 50 quart mixer or <laughs> these giant rack ovens or commercial ovens. And, or you, you know, I had a client, we moved there in Texas and we moved got their co-packing in Denver and then the altitude, right. was a big shift. And it's not just a matter of like multiplying your recipe by 10 or a hundred, like there's some wonky, like physical science thing that happens where it doesn't just work perfectly <laughs> when you I multiply know. it. I know that it, it's the strangest thing. I'm sure like I have to, I'll get a food scientist on here to really understand like why that happens, but you're right. You can never just multiply a recipe, even if you're using the same ingredients. Yeah. So I think people underestimate that piece of it. And then they go into a commercial kitchen or they start to work with a co-packer and they're just so surprised by how long it takes. Right. Plus like working with more commercial ingredients, it's not their like favorite <laughs> vanilla from Madagascar or whatever, right. They're like higher end. Um, so, you know, we're value engineering the product a little bit, still making it a high quality product, but trying to get our cost of goods sold down. So that's definitely, um, a, a fun area to watch people kind of go through that piece, which I think is such great training for just being an entrepreneur in general, because you really literally have to think like a scientist to like yeah. figure out all of this stuff. Right. And I'm borrowing that from Adam Grant, but I love that concept of like approaching your business, like a scientist and not like, like, testing hypothesis and seeing what's going to work and like, okay, that when I scaled it up to that, it didn't quite work out. And let me adjust one <laughs> variable and, you know, reduce the cooking time or increase the temperature or whatever. Right. And so we really have to put on our science hat or scientist hat. And it's such good practice for kind of the next thing I see is, is entrepreneurship in general. So Siri, I, love that you talked about that difference between kind of a hobby food as a hobby and food as a business here's the biggest question i hear a lot of entrepreneurs ask me they decide to take their hobby to a business and they generally know kind of how to start but then they say when do i start making money <laughs> like when does the stress like there's, there's always gonna be some stress but like when do i not have to worry about whether my company is going to survive or not what is that point? <laughs> is there a point? Never. <laughs> the answer is never. Well, the answer is 
Well, what I always say is your only problem as an entrepreneur is that you think there shouldn't be problems, right? Like if we didn't have that one problem where we think, what is this happening? This shouldn't be happening. Why do I have so many problems? Then you, you'd realize like, oh, that's just how we roll. Like every business has 10 problems that you're always trying to solve. And the bigger you get, like people will look back with fondness on this like time when they were just creating the product and like mm. think, oh, wow, that was such a sweet time. I remember when I thought I had all these problems scaling up or pricing or figuring out my food safety or what packaging that was so fun. <laughs> like <laughs> you kind of look back with nostalgia and then you're like, I'm in a real business and I always have problems but you, you learn to think about them differently, right? I mean, you're an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur, like there's always problems in your business. Well, and I would say, you know, you can reframe it. You don't have to call them problems if you don't want to, but (laughs) (laughs) But no, they are. And and I always say, I I agree. And I say that as you get larger, the problems don't go away. In fact, they just get bigger and hopefully you get better at navigating them. Right. I was like to say, using I've never searched, but using a surfing analogy, right? Like the waves just keep getting bigger and bigger, but you just get better at riding the waves. Yeah. And you kind of, I think the best shift in entrepreneurship is when you look forward to the big waves, when you're like, yeah, like we're going to, we're going to tackle new problems. And, and I'm so excited to like, see what I can do. Like the adversity, you kind of stop resisting the adversity and say, why is this always happening to me? And why can't I figure this out? When will I start making money? But like, you kind of go, Oh, I'm up for the challenge now. And, and that's, I think a mark of true (laughs) entrepreneurship. And I, as a coach, right? Like I went this year and I've, I've really transitioned a lot of my one-on-one work to coaching, um, this year and got my life coach certification. And, um, because we always end up coaching on the thing that we struggled the most with, right? Mm-hmm. That's I what know. you do as well. <laughs> You're like, let me teach you all the things. It's like all the things but, that I learned from all of my mistakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, we were talking last week that I wasn't a natural born entrepreneur. I, you know, my dad was an engineer. My mom was a teacher. Like you, you go to a job, you have a stable income, you know, you retire. And so I really struggled with being an entrepreneur and the risk and like, when do I stop worrying and all the anxiety. So, but what I love about that, actually, I don't know. You probably realize this too, is your life, but like with your doesn't or the engineer, I see a lot of that process driven mindset in the work that you do. And then your mom's a teacher and you're teaching. So (laughs) it's kind of like a marriage between the two. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You look back and you're like, I never could have predicted this is how I would, what I would be doing, but I'm so grateful I had it because exactly as an engineer, you're a scientist, right? And you're just always solving. You're always like in solving mode. Like Mm -hmm. let's test this. Let's test that. Let's look at the process. Where is there a a chink in the, in the process that we can go back and make better a hundred percent. But yeah, that I would say one of the biggest things is not, it's not all the technical pieces, right? It's not necessarily that. I mean, pricing is important. Food safety, Uh, design, branding, all those things are really important. But I think where I see the biggest issues are 
people get the product and they're so excited about it. Like I have my tea or I have my granola. It's in a bag. It's, <laughs> it's packaged. And then they just, they're like, now the hard work begins, right? Oh, yeah. Because our roadmap as an entrepreneur is completely different from anybody else's. And we have to realize like, we got to run our own race and we got to put ourselves out there. You know, I'm thinking of, um, someone in my program that, uh, she's like, finally got her tea and it's all packaged and she's so excited. And she's like, I'm terrified to go start talking to buyers, you know? And so like moving through the fear, moving through the, the worry of rejection or judgment and putting yourself out there is probably, I think the thing that slows most people down the most. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So two things I want to hit on real quick based on that. The first is an idea. I don't know if it's possible. I'll probably run it by you as I create it, but um, there's a uh, founder of startups.com, Will Schroeder, talks a lot about uh, becoming a profitable company and not staying a startup forever, which basically Mm -hmm. means getting to the point where you're actually like you're able to pay yourself, pay your bills and not worry about as much about like the making payroll the next month. Um, And so I'm looking to create a, I don't know if it's like a framework or a process where founders can really understand various paths to market, retail, D2C, farmers markets, and understand the minimum point they need to reach to become a stable business. So at least they Mm -hmm. have some type of expectation on when that is right is it yeah. 400 stores is it 500 stores is a thousand stores so they can really set that expectation of like i can't just launch in my local whole foods region and be profitable right like it's a much right. bigger experience than that so i'm gonna run that by you and then the second thing to come back is really around that mindset of being a founder and i know you just touched on that a little bit so tell me about kind of the the mindset challenges that a lot of founders face Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I think resilience is a big one. Right. And so are you, can you bounce back quickly? Can you have a setback? You know, I think of some clients that had some packaging issues or things weren't printed quite right. Or, you know, and it's like, can you bounce back quickly? And yeah, you can take a moment and be like, I'm disappointed and that's a bummer and I'm angry, but ultimately the faster we can turn around into solution mode and my favorite saying, the thing that I, that I use all the time is it is what it is, right? Like that is a powerful, that is your super weapon in entrepreneurship and like, and not in a defeatist way in, but in an empowering way. And that like, it is what it is. The packaging came back printed incorrectly or the, you know, supply chain, all of our supply chain issues, or, you know, I'm, I'm about ready to do a trial run next week. And my food scientist just told me this morning, she has COVID and, you know, it's just like, it is what it is and it sucks, but also can we go into, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? Right. Let's take back our power and not just sit and being a victim mentality and like, poor me. And it shouldn't be happening this way. Right. Um, the fight between reality and what we wanted it to be. So so that's a big one. I see. Wait, you mean that when you create a product, you're not going to start making a million dollars after six months? 
Oh my gosh. Oh, like, <laughs> <man. laughs> the 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 one of the biggest things in addition to like the things going wrong that I feel everyone faces is the 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 boundary of time, right? Mm -hmm. Everything in in most industries, but feels like especially food just takes a long time. And most people are on the wrong are on different schedules, right? Like you think about large retailers and a lot of them do category resets once a year. Right. And if you don't get in that year, then you have to wait a whole nother year, right? Depending on that timing, that can be almost two years. As a founder, like it, that can put you out of business, right? You need everything right. to happen like tomorrow because you're running out of money quickly and you need those accounts to survive. And so yeah. have you experienced that? I'm sure you have like with your clients of like everything's just happening so slowly and everything's <laughs> taking three times longer than it should. I know, I know. When you come from like the outside world of like, I don't know, especially people who work in like business kind of levels where they're like, they have an expectation of things moving a lot faster than they do. And certainly I see it from product creation, right? Getting into a co-packer, like getting your packaging designed, everything takes so much longer. And now we're dealing with supply chain issues and all these other things too. So, um, I just always, I always, but once they have a product, I always recommend like, we need a short-term strategy and a long-term strategy. And we need to be working both of those. So yeah, we need to be applying for the whole foods and the natural grocers and all of the other places, right? We need to be doing that, but we also need to be, what's our D to C, you know, how quickly, like we need to keep cash flow coming in. And I have clients who have very successful farmer's market strategies. They don't work the, the markets necessarily, but you know, clients that like have are in like 12 farmer's markets and that's part of their cash flow strategy. But then they're also in the big stores and they're working on that, those strategies, right? Cause we have to be able to keep cash flowing. I like that. Um, in talking about like getting that initial traction, right? A lot of people will start in their home market, but what do you recommend in terms of a sales strategy, how founders go about building that, um, that product sales strategy or distribution, um, when they're just yeah. after it may like, you know, after they have a little bit of traction. Yeah. I mean, I always recommend starting in your local area, using your sphere of influence, right. Kind of, if we just look at like, you know, it's like the six degrees of separation, like start with your closest, <laughs> closest place you're, that you can really service and you can go deep with. So at the very beginning, I always say like, you know, start in your neighborhood, start in your area. Um, and really those first few accounts, like you got to baby the heck out of them, like go deep, be a great partner, learn from this, like really show up for them, do everything you can to get traction and to build a data story. And, um, one of my mentors, Doug Helbig, uh, he always talks a lot about that, like building a data story, right? We got to like prove it in a market and prove it in these smaller stores to be able to keep using that to launch into bigger and bigger stores. So don't do the, oh, I got into one store. Great. I'm going to forget about them. And like sales are just going to magically happen. <laughs> like keep that, those relationships really deep, especially those first 10, 15 accounts, you know? Um, so that's definitely one thing is don't just set it and forget it. Really nurture those relationships. Um, 
And then, you know, go to trade shows. Like I'm taking a group of, cause I do work with, you know, early stage or entrepreneurs kind of below the 500, definitely, you know, 1 million below. Um, I'm taking them to their first trade show. I invited 10, you know, 10 of my coaching clients to come with me because they need to see it, right. They need to see what happens at a trade show and, and kind of what to expect for future future years for their business. Um, and, and to really start working those relationships. I also think that concept of loose ties is really important. And I think kind of going back to even and what we were talking about earlier with entrepreneurship, but like you as an entrepreneur have to put yourself out there in ways you never would normally in your normal life, right? Like the ones that are the most successful are the ones who are emailing all of their friends and all of their family and loose ties because in the job industry, I've, I've read that like when you're looking for a job, it, you're not going to find it necessarily from like one person, you know, directly, but you're going to find it from loose ties from like that friend who knows 10 other people. Right. And so it's kind of that second, third, fourth degree of separation, So you have to be willing to do that. Like putting yourself out there as a founder, asking people for help, asking for exactly what you need, going to networking events, you know, being a kind, (laughs) generous person. I always say like, if you're not willing to go to farmer's markets and buy other people's stuff, if you walk around a farmer's market and think I would never pay for that, right? I never pay that. I'm like, you're missing out because you're asking other people to, to buy things from you. So go and support other producers, right? Buy local products. Don't be that person. That's like shopping for the, the generic product, but you're also making a gourmet, you know, gourmet cracker or whatever, like support other people and start building your network because that's where you're going to keep growing and and landing the next, you know, getting connected with yeah. the right people. I love that idea of being kind and, and generous, and it definitely gets paid for then in this community. Um, in the last few minutes, I want to talk with you about any particular challenges or unique challenges that companies face between that like $500,000 and a million dollar mark, because it seems to be a big hurdle to get over for a lot of companies. Yeah, that's... Um... I mean, that's just taking your, let's just say you carry with you all your crap, right? Like wherever you go, there you are. So if you don't deal with your, your entrepreneur money mindset, all of that stuff, when you're, you know, pre-revenue or then 250 and under, and then 250 to 500, if you don't deal with that, then you're just going to magnify all of your crap (laughs) going forward. Right. And now we're dealing with really large accounts. We're dealing with, you know, massive amounts of logistics and, and now we have people like now we have to step into leadership roles. Right. And we're managing brokers and salespeople. And so I would say like, if you're under 500 K use this time to like manage your mind, get coaching, man, you know, create an entrepreneurship mindset of like problems are forever. And (laughs) I'm going to run my own race and I'm not going to sit and compare and despair. And I'm going to make investments in my business. That's a big one, right? Like, are you willing to invest, make some investments? Like 
loans aren't a bad thing, right? Like, let's not take our consumer mindset into our business. Like business loans are there for a reason, but we have to be strategic about it and, and get advisors and, um, you know, work with other experts in the industry. Definitely do not be like a siloed solopreneur. You just can't because it, you know, when you're scaling to a million, yeah, you're going to have staff. You need a lot of outside help. And so, yeah, wherever you go, there you are. So you might as well work on your, your BS. <laughs> yeah. You're you're so right. your, your problems do come with you. And I, I see so many brands, there's so many founders that never really get to what I call product market fit, which is having a high velocity product in the channels that you're selling in and repeat sales of, I usually say at least like 40% or people who love your product or, you know, 30% somewhere in there. Like if you don't get to that product market fit below 500K, like those problems are just going to continue to grow and you're going to end up having to make major changes to your packaging, your product, your messaging. And it just gets so much harder to make those changes as you get much larger and get your product into more stores. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So work on it while you're <laughs> in the early stages and then yeah. And leadership is a big one. You know, a lot of people maybe haven't been leaders. I know that's my, this year is all about leadership for me and bringing on employees or working with, you know, making investments in my business, making investments in the Especially when I it's been with. your baby, right? Like <laughs> you've yeah. built every piece of it. And so <laughs> when something strays by someone else's idea, it's hard to let go of that versus, you know, if you're working at a corporation, like you don't own the company. And so like, if right. someone else makes a suggestion, you might not like it, be like, oh, whatever. Right. Yeah. hundred so, percent. <laughs> well, Sari, this has been so much great. Thank you so much for being oh. on today. And I'll share in the show notes where people can get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more about your course or working with you one-on-one um, -on -one as well. Great. Thanks so much. Phenomenal. It's been really fun being here with you.